The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. All this week we have been uh, commemorating the fact that it is this week 50 years since Ireland became a member of now the European Union then the EEC. We were joined by Eamon Gilmore on Tuesday. Really interesting chat uh, with uh, Eamon, former leader of the Labour Party and former Taunashta and now has a, a role uh, through Brussels as a special representative for human rights from Ray Cleary, our reporter. Yesterday we got the sense of uh, of the daily business of an MEP. Uh, with me now is John O'Brennan, Professor of European Integration at NUI Nuth. John, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to see you. Um, we are going to talk a little bit more about those MEPs, how the role has changed, some of the notable characters we've sent Brussels and Strasbourg's way over the last 50 years. But I, I think we kind of have to start with a contemporary story because it's impossible to talk about MEPs and what they're up to in Brussels without talking about Qatargate, as it's called. So what, what, what is Qatargate and what's the latest? Well, this is the biggest scandal in the history of the European Parliament. A Greek MEP, Eva Galli, who is a vice president of the parliament, was arrested uh, in late 2022 on suspicion of corruption. She was indicted along with her partner and with another MEP. And since then, we've seen uh, two other prominent MEPs, a Belgian and Italian, accused of taking money from Qatar and from Morocco. And the accusation here is that uh, these transactions were entirely corrupt and that in return for the money that they received, and in Gali's case, it was €150,000 found in her apartment, um, more money um, was found on her father. And there are allegations that there may be up to €20 million Euros in bank accounts in Panama and other places. So this is very, very serious. And the problem for the EU is that it brings the entire system into disrepute because it doesn't matter where you are across Europe. People don't really distinguish between the parliament, the commission and the institution no. and the other institutions. It's just Brussels to everybody and the whole system. The reputation of it um, is really damaged by this. Uh, Let's talk about those systems then and where people work in them. I mean, 50 years ago, when we first sent representatives off to Brussels and Strasbourg, what was the sense of the job that they were doing? What sense did they have of the job that they were doing? In the early days, prior to the first direct elections in 1979, the European Parliament just didn't count. It was a talking shop in every sense. It was consulted sort of after the fact uh, to add a little bit of more a little bit more legitimacy to the decisions that were made essentially by the council of ministers on the proposals of the commission now that has changed fundamentally over the years no institution has grown its power and authority more than the parliament in the interim period. With every successive revision of the EU treaties that we've had, the Parliament has increased its power to the point nowadays where it's very much the equal of the Council of Ministers because most of the legislation that's processed through Mm. the EU involves both the Parliament and the Council. So was there a feeling that it was something of a jolly going off to, to, to Brussels in those early years, given that it was kind of a toothless institution, that, that the parliament itself? Yeah, I think it really had that kind of feel. 1979 was the first time that direct elections were held and all through the 1980s. It was perceived as a retirement home for politicians who had hit the rocks at home. Many of them... Um, you know, from my conversations with people who worked in Brussels at that time, had alcohol problems, which only got worse when they reached uh, the European Parliament. 
it wasn't a place where there was much important work done. But that really began to change once the Single European Act was enacted in 1987 and after the Single Market Programme came in in 1993, the Parliament's power was boosted. And especially after the Maastricht Treaty in 1992, the job changed. It became much more important than it was. And as a consequence, I think, all of the MEPs began to take it more seriously than they had in the early days. And uh, who, what, what MEPs stand out then for the right reasons when you look back through the last, maybe not the last 50 years then, but certainly the last 30 years? Well, I think the outstanding figure from this island has to be John Hume. He went into the Parliament right at the earliest point in 1979 and he quickly established a reputation both within his own social democratic group and broadly in Europe as somebody that was really admired. And looking back, I think he is the outstanding Irish representative of his generation, although, of course, his constituency was in Northern Ireland Mm. and not in the Republic. We've also had a president of the European Parliament, Pat Cox, who, again, when people look back, I think they view him as one of the most successful presidents of the parliament. He was able to work with people across the aisle, establish constituencies to bring the entire parliament with him where necessary. And more recently, of course, Mairead McGuinness was vice president. I I think she would almost certainly have become president of the parliament had she not been chosen to Mm. take the Irish job in the commission. So those are the three I think that really stand out in that time. And despite that kind of the high profile nature of Mairead McGuinness's work, it's something about maybe Europe and that that sense of of democratic deficit is often the, the term used to describe it, but that sense of distance people feel to it that it's not her; it's more the the quote unquote colourful characters like Claire Daly or Mick Wallace that get the attention. That's right. Um, Daly and Wallace get the attention because they really are performers and they perform in particular in the plenary session when that session is held in Strasbourg and it tends to get a lot of media visibility. Most of the hard work of the Parliament, however, the real work that it does is in committees and that's where MEPs, the work they do often goes unacknowledged. You know, Mm. they work across their party groups, they work across party lines, and it's a very consensual type of environment as opposed to the adversarial one that we have in the Oireachtas, the one we see next door in Westminster and so on. So there are lots of MEPs who I think kind of rightly complain that they get very little publicity for the work that they do Mm. uh, because they spend most of their time necessarily in Brussels in Strasbourg, it's more difficult for them to get a hearing than they they might if they were here, you know, all week in Dublin or elsewhere. Um, Most people, I would wager, still most people, if you stop them on the street, they'd understand that the the machinations of politics in Washington, D.C. or indeed Westminster more than they would Brussels. Like, has that begun to change? Do people, do you think, and I appreciate a lot of the people you come into will understand it, that's your world, but when yep. you speak to people like me and the rest of the great unwashed, is there is there more of an understanding of the, the difference between the Parliament and Commission and Council of Ministers and all of that than there might have been in the past? I think the answer is yes and no. Unfortunately, it's a very academic answer. <laughs> yes, in the sense that, you know, Brexit was... Uh, so existential to us that it was in the news literally every day of the week, year after year after year after 2016. So in a way we have 
um, kind of absorbed Europe in our mm. daily kind of conversations and so on. And that's a positive thing. But there's a very long standing trend in Ireland and elsewhere uh, where governments and individuals who are involved in the system just don't communicate very clearly or consistently what they do in Brussels. So for many people, I think it remains a mystery. And there's a disconnect. Irish people continually come in right at the top or close to the top of all the polls that are done for enthusiasm about the EU. But remember, twice in the last 20 years when we tested this in referendums, those referendums failed. So we should certainly not be complacent. And looking at what happened again in Britain and look at all the potential avenues of misinformation that are there. There's a real need, I think, on the part of politicians in particular to communicate to people consistently and clearly what Ireland's membership of the Union is about. John, absolute pleasure. Thanks a million for coming into us. John O'Brien, Professor of European Integration at NUI Maynooth. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.